Good morning, church. Everybody's good. Hey, you got a name and everything. Super Bowl Sunday. Woo, I'm excited about that. Somebody told me I couldn't work in and rise up into a sermon. It's coming. You wait. I wasn't planning on it, but it's coming. Man. Somebody told me that, and then we prayed about it. And oh my gosh, it's been a, it's been an awesome morning. Really, really awesome morning. Because I'm um, pretty sure it's going to be a pretty good fight tonight. But man, there's there's nothing like Super Bowl Sunday, especially when you're in church that doesn't have Sunday night services. Woo-hoo. I grew up in the traditional church. It was almost the worst day of the year. It really was. When you'd have to go to training union and then what time we get out of church now? Well, you know, the pastor really loves football. He might cut it short. <laughs> Never cut it short. It's like running over just to miss it. And now with DVR, I guess it's a little bit, a little bit better, but who wants to miss the commercials, you know, and, and, and all that good stuff that goes on. But it is Super Bowl Sunday. And we're going to talk about the fight <clears throat> that, it, that we live as Christians, a fight that we live each and every day. That if we're pursuing Christ, that we are in a fight. We're in a fight with, with Satan. We're in a fight with the things that are around us that bring temptation to us. And if we're not fighting, we're most likely not pursuing Christ. And we're going to talk about that and, and rounding up this uh, Everyday Christian series in 1 Peter chapter 5. So turn with me there if you would. 1 Peter chapter 5. And we're going to deal with the, uh, the verses 5 through 11 to kind of wrap this series up. And uh, it's a, a, a great message, um, and you're going to see why, um, in, in my own personal struggles with it, how God even spoke to me and said, chill out, dude, chill out, you're, you need to read back through what you're preaching here. And uh, really spoke to me last night and this morning in, in preparing for this, so I'm really excited to share it with you. God did some, um, some awesome things at nine, and uh, I know he's continuing to do that and pray for our other campuses as they prepare to, um, as they're starting their services right now and as Dublin prepares to have their service at 6 o'clock tonight. All right. So, great idea, Buck. So, 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning with verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for this day. God, we're thankful for the breath of life that you breathe in each one of us. We're thankful, God, for the ability for the freedom to be able to come into this place, to travel here today, to meet as the priesthood of believers, to come into this place, to worship you, 
to hear your word broken open. And God, we ask that you do that. We ask that you plunder around in our hearts, God, as we hear this message that's not the feel-good message of the year, but God, that we, we leave here today with a renewed spirit, with courage, with strength to walk in our daily lives and do what you've called us to do. God, I pray for those who are here who do not know you. I lift them up to you right now. Those who are sitting in this room who do not have a relationship with you, God, that you begin to speak to them right now as you have already done through music, through prayer, and through the breaking of bread and drinking of the cup. So God, we thank you and we love you. In your son's name we pray, amen. So this fight, as I was thinking about this fight that we're in, and I was thinking about um, as, a, as a kid, teenager even, I wasn't, wasn't much of a fighter. Deal with a lot of people and, and talk to a lot of people and they'd be like, yeah, I fought a lot in high school. I was always getting in fights. I was more of a lover than a fighter. You know, I'm just going to go with that. Um, didn't, didn't really fight, but in elementary school, I, I, had, a, I had a girlfriend who was you know, deeply in love in, 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 in elementary school and we were making plans to, uh, for our future to, to meet at the tree at recess and, um, you know, not get near each other, but, you know, just stand with the guys and look over there at the girls, do those things. But she was my girlfriend. And um, so there was another guy who decided he liked her too. And unbeknownst to me, and I didn't really know how this worked, I was a little naive to it, but he wanted to beat me up so he could have her. And I guess that's how it works, kind of like a loaf of bread that you're fighting over. If you beat the person up, they're unconscious, you take the loaf of bread. I don't think it works that way, but anyway, um, he made these threats. So I was living on St. Simon's at the time. I was going home with another friend uh, to his house on East Beach. You may be familiar where East Beach is. And, and he knew that I was going over there. And he told me at school that day, he was going to meet me there and we were going to fight. Well, I'm not beat around the bush. I'm scared to death. I, I didn't know what was going to happen here. Like I said, I was, I was a lover. I was not a fighter. Uh, I didn't know what to do. And, and I was a little worried. So we get, you know, we actually rode the bus to East Beach, got off the bus. And I wasn't saying much, but it was been, had been brewing and a crowd was forming. And so we gather up on this road and they're like, are you going to fight him? You're going to fight him? I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't really know what to do here. So we get, we get there and everybody gathers up and I got my, you know, the groom's side and the bride's side. We're all up there together and, and uh, I'm still kind of confused as to what to do. And he's standing there and he's, he's, God, he's nine feet tall. He's like Goliath. Um, he at least looked that big because I, uh, I was a lot bigger than I am right now than elementary school. But anyway... I was standing there and it, it just, it started. We went together and I did some very lame kick. I'm not really even sure what it was. And, and looking back, it was probably embarrassing, but I just kind of kicked at him. It was more of a, please don't kill me kind of kick. And we kind of went together and then everybody kind of jumped in and pulled us off and it was over. It was, it was that quick, you know? And, um, I, and I still had the girlfriend. I don't really know what it accomplished and, and nobody really said who won, who didn't win. But years and years later, years and years later, after Lisa and I were married, we went to a, uh, a, a cookout at, at some of her families, uh, um, at a family's house. And we get there, and 
this dude's there. <laughs> I mean, and I was like, what? who do you know and her family? And it was just, just this weird combination of knowing he was visiting somebody and just came. And uh, I was sitting there, I was thinking, I wonder if he still wants to fight me. Because <laughs> I, I, I thought I might could, I thought I might could take him right then, you know, but it would have been awkward, you know, just to, you know, throat punch him at a barbecue for no apparent reason. Um, and I, cause I, I mean, I think I could take him cause he, uh, he was fat and looked a lot slower than I did. So I, I think I could take him out. But as I was thinking about this fight and pursuing Christ, I didn't, didn't have a lot to go on on fighting, you know, but it's so true as I can continue to break this message open that the normal life of an everyday Christian, it is a fight. And if you're, if you're not fighting, you're probably not pursuing God in your daily life. So looking back at the text, um, it, verses five, six, and seven say, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time and cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So throughout the book of first Peter, he talks about this, this submission thing. And Brandon has broke this up for us over the past few weeks. And, and back in chapter two, he talks about submitting ourselves to civil authority. And in, in uh, chapter two, verse 18, he, he talks about even Christian slaves submitting yourselves to your masters. And last week, Brandon talked about in chapter three, women submit yourselves to your husbands. I'm not gonna touch that one. I'll let him walk with that one for a week. And then even, even says later in that chapter that men show a corresponding respect to your wives. So he begins this, verse five, with in the same way. In the same way. So he's continuing this submission thing. And he's talking about the elders. Submit yourself to the elders. And he's talking about the people in the church. And, and the elders are those who are, are firm in their faith. Uh, maybe even about deacons, maybe about ushers. There's all kinds of, of conversation about this. Um, in commentaries and that sort of thing. But it's basically people who have, have wisdom, um, the elders of the church who have, have been down that road, um, not really according to age, but just are firm in their, in their faith. And he says that we should submit to them. Again, if you're not fighting, you're not pursuing. If you're not fighting, you're not pursuing. So I'm going to talk about four different fights today, four different fights that we're in according to this text. The first fight that we're in is a fight for humility, a fight for humility, to be humble, to wake up and say, it's not about me, not to wake up and look in the mirror and go, you know, it might be about me today. I'm looking pretty good. It's not about me. The word here is actually the, the same meaning for tying on an apron. And it makes me think that as Peter is writing this, he's thinking back to the time when, when Jesus walks in the room and he ties an apron around his waist and he fills this basin with water and he walks over to the disciples who are, are lounging and seated on pillows and he begins to wash their feet. One of the nastiest things that you could possibly do because he didn't walk over there and, and slip off their nice Ariat boots. He didn't go over there and, and slip off their Nikes or, or their cat heads or whatever. He slipped off their sandals or they didn't have shoes at all. 
This was way beyond grocery store feet, all right? I'm talking about like scabby, just calloused, nasty feet, right? And I know there's plenty of people in here with some, some feet problems. I mean, like to have them around them, right? But Jesus lowers himself and takes their feet in his hands and washes them. And that's the word for humility that Peter uses in his text. To tie on the apron, to humble ourselves. Humility is, is not just that absence of pride. It's not just the absence of pride, but it's the true recognition of grace. The true recognition of grace. So that's the first fight. The second fight is a fight to give up control and admit that we need help. The fight to give up control and admit we need help. It's a dependence that we're supposed to have on Christ. A dependence that we're supposed to have on our faith. That we as Christians know that we did not make ourselves and we did not save ourselves. That God, the creator of the universe, is the only one who could do those two things. Create us and save us. We could not and cannot do that ourselves. That control piece, gosh, it's so easy to want to have control and control everything. Even in the midst of trying to write this message and, and, and deal with the text, I wanted to control it so much and go, all right, let me go through my steps and writing a message down. And God just kept, it's like he just kept confusing me on purpose going, would you read the text that you're talking about here? But I wanted to control it because when I control things, then I know how they're going to end up. If I can control it, I know the outcome and that makes me feel good, right? But God put a conviction on my heart many years ago about control. And I feel like he said to me, when you control things, you have, there's a possibility of stealing someone else's blessing. You're not allowing someone to do something that I want them to do. And that really spoke highly to me in so many different ways that when I relinquish control to something, not only may they do it better than me, but they're going to receive a blessing that God wants them to have. The third one is to fight to cast our cares and anxiety on him. A fight to cast our, care and our cares and anxiety on him. What a difficult place to live. There's so many people who struggle with anxieties, who struggle with, with carrying the load of the universe on their shoulders. And that's such a difficult thing to do to, to not try to just work it out on our own. Just put our feet to the fire and grind it out. You see, Peter knew the power of pride. He had boasted about pride. The night when they're all seated around Jesus and Jesus is, is talking about his death and he shares with them, before the cock crows three times, one of you will deny me. Oh, wow. Can't you see Peter right now? <laughs> we are so much like him. Simple, probably a little bit of a filthy mouth. He was a fisherman, pretty hardcore. Bad temper. But I bet he was the first one going, <laughs> ain't gonna be me, Jesus. Probably Andrew over there. He's kind of a softy. He'll deny you. How about John, lover boy? He's going to do it. Might be your favorite, but I bet he'll sell you out in a heartbeat. You know Peter was talking smack at the dinner, right? 
But right there in the midst of it, he has this, this, this big moment. And then, before the cock crowed three times, he denied him. He denied him. Three times. Three times he denied him. And I can't help but think, after that, every single morning, every morning, when that old rooster outside reared its head back and went, belted out a big old cockle-doodle-doo, can't you imagine Peter every day thinking, oh, the reminder that reminded him of how awful that day was when he turned his back on Jesus? But I think that changed for Peter. And this is what I want you to see right here. Is I don't think that Peter ended up living with the guilt because something else happened. Jesus stood there before his accusers and right there as the cock crowed, Jesus looked at Peter. He looked at Peter. He didn't have to say anything. He just looked at him. And I think Peter immediately felt humbled and restored. He felt forgiven. And I think Peter now urges us, cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all your anxiety and all your cares on him. And I think that's how Peter approached life after that. And I wonder how you may have felt even this morning as you, as you walked up to the communion tables. Were you drawn there because of the grace of God? Were you drawn there because of, of something you've done in your life, of the things that you've done, the times you've denied Jesus? All the, the nastiness that comes up in our life, have you experienced the grace of God to be drawn to the table? Because I think that's a totally different feeling than feeling guilty for taking communion. Because God's grace is sufficient for whatever we've done and whoever we've done it with. As Christians, we're tempted to react with pride even. I think about another story from Peter when he's in the Garden of the Gethsemane and he rises up out of pride and he chops the ear off of the soldier. And Jesus gently reaches up and heals the soldier's ear. But so many times we react with pride and, and want to fight literally rather than showing our grace and love, God's grace and love to someone else. We get so caught up in the the little things that we miss the kingdom things. You remember a story of Mary and Martha. You haven't heard this story. A great story when Jesus comes to eat dinner with Mary and Martha. And Martha is so busy. She's just a great homemaker. And she had to get, make sure all the, the, all the crystal was clean. And all the plates were just the way they should be. And they were set just right. And the fork was on the right side. And the knife was on the right side. I have no idea how that's supposed to be. So I'm not even going to try to manipulate it. Because you'll email me. You said you had the fork on the wrong side. And I don't care. So that's what she was concentrating on. Maybe you're a Martha. All right. But she was so concentrated on that. She began to get bitter and angry with Mary. Because you know what Mary was doing? She was seated at the feet of Jesus. Worshipping him listening to his teachings. And Martha was angry about it. And she complained to Jesus, said, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. Like a middle schooler. It was awesome. Tell her to help me. I got to do the dishes. And Jesus just gently rebukes Martha and said, Mary's got her priorities, right? She's doing what I want her to do. She's worshiping and she's listening to me and spending time with me. 
when we cast our cares on the Lord, we often find that we were, that they were the concerns of our pride and not the cares of the kingdom. Weakness is our greatest asset as a Christian. When we are weak, he is strong. Verse eight, be alert and sober-minded. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So the fourth fight we're gonna talk about for a little while is the fight against the enemy. The fight against the enemy. And this is one where a lot of churches kind of kind of move around, dance around the old devil thing. Is this a, it's an awkward conversation, right? We don't really see him. We kind of believe he's out there, but not really sure where he lives. But he talks about him as a roaring lion. A roaring lion. I kept thinking about what is our definition of a roaring lion? We think of lion. What's the first lion that you think of? Oh, for me, Mufasa. Go with Mufasa. Kind of cuddly, you know? Not really this roaring lion that, that Peter is talking about. Or I think about our extent of lions goes to like the Atlanta Zoo with one caged over there laying, you know, on his back looking at the sun or something. You know, looks cool, but not all that scared of it, right? Because there's a huge cage there and I'm safe. Or maybe it's watching National Geographic you know, hundreds of thousands of miles away from where I am, probably not gonna come through the smart TV. It's smart, but it ain't that smart. Not really scared of that lion either. And I kept thinking about what, what is it that, that we're fearful of? What can I compare this to? And I, I think we all have fears and phobias and I, I know I have my share of those, but, but the two of mine start with S's. One's a snake, the other one's spiders. I will leave you in a heartbeat. If we're together and those creep up, I don't care what they look like. And I don't really know what they look like because I'm not gonna look very long. Don't show me a picture of one. Don't send me a text of one. Don't do it. I do not like them. I've gotten a little bit better about spiders as long as I can see them, okay? If I can account for their location, I'm okay. Even if I see one in my office or something, I'll check on him. Check on it from time to time, and then I'll get, you know, my female partner to come kill it. But I just, I just don't like them. So my really worst case scenario for me is going to the deer stand about 5.30 in the morning. It's dark. I get the heebie-jeebies just talking about it. Walking through a cobweb. Oh, my gosh. I have... I have Clothing has come off. I'll just put it that way. I will lose guns, bags, children, everything. I'm out of there. And if you have a video of that, it's got to look hilarious because you can't see the cobweb. You just see somebody going crazy with their arms. Just get it off of me because spiders live in the cobweb. They're in there somewhere. And I know he's coming straight. And you know, if you just Google it, they go in your ears and they'll live in there for like days and just chew and eat your brains out. That's what's gonna happen. I'm scared of them. I'm telling you, it's, it's real stuff. But it's not gonna get in my ear. Nah, I will beat a spider to death getting out, of, getting out of the woods. I don't care where the deer are at that point. 
But, but this, this genuine fear that he instills in us, he's talking about this, this roaring lion to a people that have a different definition of what a lion is. Their, their idea when he writes about it is going to the Colosseum and seeing a, a lion literally rip a human person to shreds out of sport. That was their definition of a roaring lion, much different than ours. He prowls around and he warns us about this. There's been a strong movement over the past century to make the devil out to be a metaphor to someone who is not real. But Peter uses the lion as a description who hunts in a, in a stealth way and with terror. And I think that the devil could not ask for any better illusion than for us to think that he's not real. What a way to sneak in and destroy. Because God, I mean, because Satan, he... He directly opposes the mission of what God's doing and promotes our rebellious attitudes by fanning the flame of that that's going on. And you know, one of the th ways that I, I think we see this so much inside the church is in, around, the, um, around one of our cultures of serving. You know, we talk about serving as a, as a culture of Connection Church because it's what, it's what God wants us to do. And it's a celebration of God working in our lives. We, we are, are, God is working in us so much, it's overflowing so much that we want to do things. And when we ask for people to serve, it's because we want that for you, not anything from you, ever. And, and we have some great opportunities for serving. And this, this kind of part of my message is kind of like at the Oscars when the uh, actors um, promote like political stuff. So I got the stage and I want to talk about connecting right now, okay? And our connectors. We have blue shirts, we have green shirts. Uh, well, we don't have green shirts. We have blue shirts, we have orange shirts, we have kind of greenish yellow shirts, and white shirts, um, all kind of, a whole wardrobe we'll hook you up with, right? But last Sunday, we had 280 kids in Connection Kids. That's not awesome, 280 kids. We got, yeah, one person cheering because you weren't working over there probably. But <laughs> I, I didn't, I wouldn't even go to the atrium last week. I, I, that's, that's a lot. My kids are older. They can do things on their own right now. But Lisa asked me sometimes, don't you miss having a baby? No, not so much. <laughs> not so much. I like looking at them. Um, but if I stand out here in the atrium and watch you bring your kids in and take them home, Ha, I wouldn't go back there for nothing. I'm thinking, I wouldn't fit in at Longhorn where I'm going right now. Mm -mm. And don't bring them there if I'm trying to eat, all right? <clears throat> but our Connection Kids last week, it, it, it was huge. And each week over the last, last few months has just exploded. But one of the areas that we do, we do need help and want you to pray about helping in Connection Kids. With 280 kids, we had 38 vacancies in our help. Because it takes a lot of people to, to work with children. You know that. You know, we can't have a one to 20 ratio. That would be unfair to your children. And that one person would quit and leave our church too if they had 20 kids. But that's an area that we do need help. And this, this is a plea for you to, to really pray about it. Ask God to, to work in your life and see where that is. But I think one of the areas that we fight against there and where Satan interjects himself is either overworking us and justifying saying yes to everything at the church and then becoming bitter about having to do so much at the church, which we never would want that for anyone here. But another area is just to make you just kind of come and 
soak up the sun and go home. I don't think that's what he wants for our relationship with him. And I think that's where Satan works and, and kind of tells us those lies. Just, just go in a tin, drop a little in the bucket and go home. That's all you need to do. But God wants so much more for you. We want so much more for you. The spiritual warfare thing is a reality whether we believe it or not. It is real. He tempted Adam and Eve. He tempted Job. He went after him. He even tempted Jesus himself. He's an accuser and he's a condemner. Jesus hated the attacks of Satan. When the cross right there in view, Jesus talked about his triumph over Satan in John chapter 12. He says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out and I am lifted up from heaven. When I am lifted up from heaven, will draw all people to myself. I love this text when Jesus is talking about it because I think there's two meanings to when I am lifted up from earth. When I'm lifted up on the cross, high and lifted up on the cross, overlooking all of you people dying for you, Satan will be crushed. When I am raised up to sit at the right hand of the Father, two different meanings I think is a beautiful picture of what he's describing here. But the fact that Satan was cast down from heaven he knows that his time is limited and it makes him even more furious and ferocious and intense and coming after us day after day after day. He may threaten the church from within, clothing himself like an angel of light. And he may work outside of the church, devouring and creeping around and doing all the nastiness that he can do. But we know as our Father in heaven knows that he, the God of the universe, will crush Satan under his feet. And not only will he crush Satan once again in all of finality, the job has already been done. Amen. He has already crushed Satan. He's already beat him through the power of the resurrection, through dying on the cross for our sins. He's already done it. And ultimately through Christ's glory, when he comes back to get us, when this world is over, he will crush him once again. It will be the Super Bowl of all Super Bowls. Rise up. Go ahead now. <laughs> and if God liked football, he'd be pulling for the Falcons. I guarantee he would. But that's, that's going to be it. Vegas, Vegas can't even throw the odds at what's going to happen when Jesus returns. Because he's already beaten Satan. It's just icing on the cake when he comes back and takes him out forever for all of eternity he will no longer exist to to threaten us with anything but for us here on this earth back in the present all that is great and I love to think about the end of time I wish it would come before we even get out of this service to end some things that go on but it may not and because of that as we walk around here as we walk through our daily lives as Christians and doing this Christian stuff, how do we do this? How do we resist this? Because the danger to those of us who know Christ is not that we're helpless before him because we have the full armor of God. He's told us that in his, in his scripture that we can put on the full armor of God and protect ourselves. But the danger to us is that we will fail to resist Satan, that we will fail to watch and pray, that we will fail to put on the armor of God when Satan appears to us. 
That's the danger. Peter calls us to do what he failed to do, to watch and pray. Because you remember in the garden when Jesus took them to the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus was praying and blood sweat, uh, blood, blood was coming out of his skin. He was, he was just intently praying. His disciples, cutting some Z's, sound asleep. They failed to do what he asked him to do. They fell asleep and we cannot fall asleep and forget to watch and pray because Satan comes to steal, to kill and destroy. He wants our relationship with God. He wants our marriages. He wants our kids. He wants everything that he can put his hands on. So how do we resist? How do we do this? Well, Peter uses the phrase sober watchfulness. Sober watchfulness. And sobriety refers to alertness and realism. It refers to keeping, keeping things in, in perspective of having a firm foundation, having a firm faith so we can see the difference in the things that Satan is, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, imitating. It's like intimidating. No, that wasn't it. Imitating. The things that Satan is imitating versus what is godly. And understanding the difference in those two things. And that's grounding ourselves in our faith so we can discern between what looks maybe and what is godly. Because Satan is so good at masquerading. Satan is so good at clothing himself in things to make, we, make us think that they're the right thing to do. But remember, we cannot do it alone. We cannot do it alone and cannot do it under our own power. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of fighting. I get tired of fighting. I've discovered that when I find myself fighting, God finds his way to test me in it. And I don't think that God places things in my path to test me. I think I just screw up and then he finds a way to test me through it. But I, I put myself there to begin with. I think we all do that, but we will be tested. If you're here this morning, you know you will be tested in your faith. If you drive a car, you know you will be tested in your faith. If you are married, you know you will be tested in your faith. If you have kids, you know you will be tested in your faith. If you're in a relationship of any kind, you know you will be tested in your faith. Students, you know you will be tested in your faith each and every day as you walk through the halls of your schools. The things that I hear from kids in schools and the things that are just accepted and said and done night after night on the weekends or said online or, or put on Facegram or whatever it is, you know you will be tested. The event we have this next weekend, Awake My Soul, we're praying it up so much and God is already at work in preparing our students, preparing our leaders Cody and, and his whole team and, and this great weekend. Get signed up if you're not. There's a couple spots still available. You will be tested. But that testing does not destroy us. It purifies us. It purifies us. We, we can't look to ourselves. We must look to the one who created us. We must look to Jesus. The Lord says in Luke chapter nine, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul can say, and we can say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 
In order to resist the devil, we have to draw near to God. We have to draw near to God. We have to read his word. We have to listen to God and do what he says. And then in verse nine, he says, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And there's comfort and hope in the fact that I'm not in this alone. There's comfort and hope in the fact that we as a church are not in this alone and that Satan is attacking churches. When a pastor says to me, you know, we hadn't had Satan attacking us in a long time at our church. I don't wanna go to your church. Nothing's going on at your church if Satan's not there. He lives in this metal building right over here, if y'all didn't know that. Weird things happen in that metal building sometimes. We think we got him cornered. But Satan is constantly doing things at Connection Church. I don't say that in in a celebratory way. I say that because I'm proud of the fact that God is doing things and where God is at work, Satan is at work. But God has already prevailed over it. So Satan can do all he wants to do because we know how to resist him. We know what we're supposed to be doing. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, we are fighting from a victory not for a victory. Christ has already won. The game is over. We're just fighting from the victory. We're celebrating after the Super Bowl. Prediction, after the Falcons win tonight, it wouldn't make much sense for Matt Ryan to go back to the field tomorrow and do it again. Because we will already have won. I hope. But we hear the call of God and the voice of Jesus And we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Peter experienced these things firsthand. He writes from the fact that he sat with Jesus, he lived with Jesus, he touched the scars on his hand when Jesus was resurrected. So I wanna leave you with four promises, four promises that God gives us through our suffering, very quick. The first one, that God will complete us. God will complete us. It means to make right, to put in order, like a surgeon setting a bone. He says he will make it right. He will put it in order. And that's not going to be here on this earth. That our time of suffering is short-lived. It's here, but in the glory of Christ, in his return or at our death, that's when he completes us. The second one, God will establish us. God will establish us. In 2 Thessalonians 3.3, Paul writes, the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We are established. We are established just like Peter was. For whatever we do, he denied Jesus three times. He cursed at the people who asked him if he knew him. He He was defiant about it, angry about it. But he was established in his faith and Jesus looked at him. He looked at him forgave him so he establishes us number three God will strengthen us God will strengthen us the verb here is used twice in all of the Bible first it's used here in the New Testament to talk about God's strength and how he strengthens us the other time is in the Greek version of Job when he talks about Job's strength that's the kind of strength that God gives us that is so refreshing to me he also uses Um, It's been 
um, used and talking about a lion on this side of it too. So Peter talks about the roaring lion and the devouring of Satan and it makes us in having the strength of a lion as well. The fourth one, God will place us on a firm foundation. God will place us on a firm foundation. When we read the Bible, listen to God and do what he says, he's establishing that firm foundation that we can stand on and we can fight the evil. We can fight the things that are out there. But God doesn't call call us to put on the full armor of God and build a bunker to live in. God calls us to put on the full armor of God and to walk into our schools and live like Christ wants us to live. He, He asks us to put on the full armor of God and to go in our places of business and be honest and and trade with people and do the right things with people the way he wants us to do them, not because of how we want to excel and how we want to rise to the top. He wants wants us to put on the full armor of God in our families and protect them from infidelity, protect them from the things that can devour a family and break it apart. That's who God calls us to be, not to live with blinders or live with our head in the sand, but to live strong to rise up and live like God wants us to live. Peter's not wishing or even praying that God's power may endure. He is rejoicing in it. It's already happened. He's rejoicing in it. We fight from victory, not for victory. Because ultimately in the end, Christ wins. We know it because it says it. So if you're here today, you're here today and I I prayed for you at the beginning of this service, you've never experienced this relationship with Christ. You've never said, yes, I wanna follow you. I need this relationship and I need it to begin today. Super Bowl Sunday will always be your birthday with Jesus Christ. They will play a football game in celebration of you coming to know Jesus Christ today. How awesome is that? But you've never made that decision. And you know God is calling on you right now and your heart's beating 100 miles an hour. And you know right now he wants to just, he's just begging you, please let me in. If that's you here today, this many people, I know that there's someone here that God's talking to and asking for that to happen. If that's you, just lift your hand up really high so we can see it. We like to celebrate when somebody comes to know Christ. Lift your hand up right where you are. Man, right down here, John. Mr. Mike's got it. Thank you, buddy. Anybody else? Love to see kids know to come come to know Christ. Anybody else? We got till six o'clock. There's nothing going on before that, right? Anybody else? Or for all of us who are in here, assuming we're all Christians, the things that we talked about, I want to, to pray a special prayer over you today. So I want you to stand right where you are as we close this service. Just stand right where you are as we close in prayer. God, we're thankful for the day. God, I'm so thankful for for you convicting me in this to to just allow you to work. 
to not carry the pressure and the control of, of trying to do it the way I want to do it. I thank you for that, God. But God, there are many of us in here today who are, who may be confused about this deceiver who is in our lives. God, I feel certain that there are people in here right now who are in marriages and they've received text messages or emails probably during this service that are inappropriate and are flirting with disaster in their own families. I pray for that to be cast out right now in those families. God, I lift them up to you, those marriages that are on the rocks right now. That they seek help, that they pray through it, that they hold hands They sit knee to knee and have conversations that that needed to be had years ago. God, I pray for those who who come in here today and last night was just, it was just another beer. It was just another drink. It was just another drug. And I'm gonna try to stop. God, I pray that you bind that up in people. As Satan continues to, to move around in our lives, inside here, outside here, God, that we put on the full armor of God and, and we fight those things off. That you expose them, you shine your light on those so that we can see them clearly. We ask for help, God. I pray for each person in this room, God, as they go out from this place, our students as they walk through the, the halls of their campuses tomorrow, at Georgia Southern, at all of our schools and our community and and around here, that God, they not only put on their armor, but they put on their armor together. Because when a group of people have on armor, we call that an army. And God, I ask that you do that for our students. Help them find each other Lock arm in arm. Take over our campuses. Share your love and your joy with people who are hurting. God, for those of us in businesses, as we walk through our halls, sit in our offices, in our vehicles, in all the places that we work, God, we pray for honesty and integrity. We pray that as as Satan moves around and, and makes things look just so, that you'll shine your light on that. Help us to make choices that are right for you, God. God, we thank you. We love you. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Have a great week. We love y'all.